0: Hey, good morning, faithful listeners. Thanks for tuning into the P40 Ministries podcast, and welcome to part four of the Building of the Tabernacle series that we are currently doing. So, uh, I actually have an exciting announcement coming up. So, my friend Stephanie Roussel, who has been on the podcast before, will be joining us in a couple weeks at the end of our series of the Building of the Tabernacle, and she's going to be discussing. Basically, an overview of the tabernacle because she has actually been doing a tabernacle series herself on her podcast, Gospel Spice, which is so funny. We did not plan that, it just happened to be the exact same topic at the exact same time. So, of course, it makes a lot of sense for her to come on this podcast and talk a little bit about it. So, definitely stay tuned for that. That's going to be really exciting and I'm excited to have her on again uh, on the podcast. But today we are going to be talking about Exodus chapter 27 and once again, I'm actually not going to be reading this portion of scripture and I'm sorry to say that I usually do read the scripture. I like to do that. Like I said before, I shy away from not reading it uh, if I'm going to be discussing it. But of course, this one is an entire chapter we are literally discussing Exodus 27 so obviously an entire chapter of reading is just a little bit too much but honestly I couldn't figure out a better way to break up these chapters because they're all very um, linear They're they're one thing after another and they all connect to each other so I didn't want to break them up too much while discussing the building of this tabernacle. But if you get a chance today, go back and read it yourself. Read Exodus chapter 27. It actually is kind of a smaller chapter. It's not too long. It's 21 verses long. But still, that's quite a bit to uh, to read for you guys. So let's just talk about this today. So after the entire building of the tent of the tabernacle, which was the tent of meeting, um, which we talked about with Casey on Monday, The tent of meeting was supposed to have a holy place and then a most holy place, and the most holy place was supposed to have this curtain that covered it, you know, because that's where God's presence was supposed to be at, basically. So we talked about the tent of meeting or the tabernacle tent itself, but now today we're going to be talking about the court that surrounded this tent tabernacle and also the altar, So it starts out by talking about this altar. And the altar, I believe, would be on the outside of the Ten of Meeting so that people could see it. So it says that you're supposed to make an altar of acacia wood five cubits long and five cubits high. We talked about what a cubit is. It's about a foot and a half or length of the elbow of a man to the tip of his middle finger, if that makes sense. So this altar was supposed to be square, and the square was supposed to be seven and a half feet long, By seven and a half feet long, like all the way around seven and a half feet, if that makes sense. And then it was supposed to be about four and a half feet high. Let me see what that translates to over in meters for those of you who uh, use the metric system. It was supposed to be, let's see here, about two and a half meters square and then one and a half meters high. So this was a pretty big altar. I mean, it was a it was a decent sized altar. God was doing it in a way that would be easy for it to be transported. Once again, it has these rings on it where these acacia wood poles could go through for easy carrying. And the entire thing was supposed to be made out of acacia wood. And actually, it was also supposed to be hollow. So this wasn't supposed to be like this solid piece of, um, you know, unmovable 5 million pound (laughs) piece of furniture. It It was easy to move, or at least, you know, it was probably heavy, but it was not unmanageable to carry since, you know, God's people were travelers. So he told Moses to make this altar hollow, but it was supposed to be uh, made of acacia wood and then overlaid with bronze. So bronze is a pretty hardy metal. It is something that uh, can handle high heats because it, it itself, bronze, is literally going through fire so it's good for the wilderness temperatures where it would get super hot bronze was a good metal for handling high heat and actually bronze in the Bible is symbolically um, used as a metal that represents judgment because it has gone through the fire which is interesting because this is the altar that we're talking about here this altar would be the place where the people would make up for their sins by bringing a young lamb or a bull or a goat or something like that to sacrifice on this altar to pay for their sins. So this altar was a place of judgment. So God, you know, God uses bronze to kind of symbolize the judgment that is going to be happening on that altar. So this entire altar was supposed to be um, overlaid with this nice, smooth, shiny bronze. Later on, we do find out that the bronze... God had the people add like this hammered bronze onto the sides of the altar uh, because of the rebellion of the people. There was one guy named Korah that we'll talk about later who um, like rebelled against Moses and everybody and he like raised up a team of people and he like used these like bronze uh, (laughs) lampstands. I don't know what they are, but bronze candlesticks to like see in the dark. I'm not quite sure, but God told the people to use those candlesticks to um, add to around this altar so that the people would always remember that Korah rebelled against God and against Moses. So uh, that was like more of signifying, you know, the sin of the people and how you shouldn't do that. So this entire altar represented judgment and sin. And even though it was beautiful, you know, like the bronze was probably very shiny and uh, metallic-y. And it probably looked really cool, but what was so symbolic about this altar was this is where people were bringing their sacrifices to God so that they would not, uh, you know, die in their sins, if that makes sense. We've definitely talked a lot about what what sacrifice is and what it symbolized back in these days. So I'm not going to really go into it right now, but we will definitely go more into sacrifice later on. But anyway, this this altar itself was easy for carrying, it was made of bronze, and then it also had these horns on the four sides of each of the four corners. So uh, the horns, I don't really know what those signified, but they could have been just a decorative element. But um, the blood was supposed to be placed on those horns as well. Which once again, we'll talk a little bit more about as we get more into this. So after this, God talks about making a court for this tabernacle. You remember that only the high priests or the priests could enter into the tabernacle. It was not meant for the average person to just waltz right in there. So the court would be surrounding the tabernacle. And I do believe the people were allowed to enter this court. But the court, you know, this was a tent. It was supposed to be very movable. The court itself was also very movable. It had pillars which were made of, let's see here. The pillars were made of bronze, but the tops of them would be silver. So, you know, the top of a pillar that kind of like goes out. I don't know what that's called, but that top of it would be silver. And silver was actually a uh, metal that symbolized refinement or redemption. So refinement, God's always talking about refining his people as silver is refined, you know, Or redeeming his people. But like that was kind of the metal that symbolized, you know, the people kind of coming clean, if that makes sense. So this courtyard was kind of where these people would do that. And, uh, you know, they would be redeemed in that courtyard or bought back, paid for, uh, refined. So that was kind of the symbolism behind silver. So now these pillars, even though they're, they're made with bronze, the middle part of them, the tops and bottoms, I believe, were supposed to be made out of silver, which is refinement. So it was a place of both judgment and refinement, which is kind of cool. And I kind of like that symbolism between the two metals here that God uh, uses. So these pillars are surrounding this entire tent. So this would have been a pretty large courtyard. I believe it was um, a rectangle that was about 150 feet long. Now the coverings that covered this courtyard didn't have to be super crazy. This was supposed to be like a white fine linen curtain that covered the entire courtyard and hung on the pillars, if that makes sense. And I believe this hung with, um, with silver brackets, you know, nothing was supposed to be sewn. Everything was supposed to be easy to carry. So, you know, if this huge giant 150 foot curtain was sewn together, that'd be impossible, (laughs) not impossible, but, but much harder to carry than if it was broken up in little pieces and then held together by, um, these silver loops so God made it easier for carrying so these curtains were to be made out of white linen it was supposed to be nice fine linen I mean if you've ever felt a linen shirt like a nice one it's I mean linen is really good quality stuff like you can get really nice linen and uh, it's kind of soft too so this if this was like a nice fine linen this would have been like a nice um, white soft curtain that covered this entire courtyard now on the front here where you're supposed to enter into the court It was supposed to be a screen of 20 cubits of blue, purple, and scarlet fine twined linen. So for the entrance of this entire courtyard, this was supposed to be a beautiful curtain, kind of like um, the curtain, the inner curtain of the temple itself, the tabernacle. It was supposed to be a similar curtain made of this beautiful linen of all these beautiful colors. And these are all my favorite colors. I actually love um, the cooler side of colors. so like purples blues those are my favorite colors I love them and I do enjoy a good scarlet color as well so when I think of this curtain I'm thinking of all my favorite colors just kind of mixed together in this uh, beautiful rainbow it says um, blue purple and scarlet fine twine linen the work of the embroiderer so this was supposed to be embroidered together and uh, so then the front of it was supposed to have these four pillars and uh, these pillars will be filleted, filleted. No, That doesn't <laughs> it's not filleted. filleted with silver and their hooks of silver and the sockets of bronze. So it sounds like there's a lot of silver on these. I don't know what the word filleted means. I'm sorry, I, I'm not <laughs> it's definitely not filleted. Okay, it's supposed to be filleted with silver. They're hooks of silver and their are sockets of bronze. So it looks like there's more silver on these entrance pillars than there is bronze which makes more sense because, you know, once again, that whole concept of the silver is refining. So then after this, it says that the length of the court shall be 100 cubits and the width 50 throughout and the height 5 cubits of fine twine linen and their sockets of bronze. So this courtyard was pretty big. And the temple itself made up only a tiny little portion of this courtyard. So I, I think I read somewhere that it made up about 7% of this entire Courtyard. So, I mean, this was a decent-sized area that people could come to, and worship on. And it says all the instruments of the tabernacle and all of its service, and all of its pins and all the pins of the court shall be of bronze. I don't know what that means. I'm sorry, um, but I do know that there was supposed to be tools made for the altar as well. Like, um, if you have a fireplace, you'll know about some of the tools that go along with the fireplace i believe they were also supposed to be made of bronze if we look at it um i'm kind of backtracking here but it says that the um yeah it says that its basin and its meat hooks and its fire pans um make all of its vessels of bronze so it looks like whatever utensils or instruments that were supposed to go in this courtyard were supposed to be made of bronze now the one last thing here it mentions from verse 20 to verse 21, and I'll actually read this. This is the very last two verses in this chapter. It says, You shall command the children of Israel that they bring to you pure olive oil beaten for the light to cause a lamp to burn continually. In the tent of meeting outside of the veil, which is before the covenant, Aaron and his sons shall keep it in order from evening to morning before Yahweh, and it shall be a statute forever throughout their generations on the behalf of the children of Israel. Now, this is tons and tons of symbolism about this lamp that was supposed to burn continually. So we often see in the Bible verses like God is the light of the world or, you know, anything like that about shining your light. So, I mean, the light itself, you know, if it's never going out, this is, Showing that the, you know, to the children of Israel, that God is always there. His light is never leaving. It's never going out. So there was symbolism in that. The olive oil that was supposed to be used here, supposed to symbolize the Holy Spirit. So this, it says here that this olive oil is supposed to be very pure and beaten for the light. We see throughout scripture, people getting anointed by oil. You know, that was symbolism that the Holy Spirit was there, that they were being made holy. In fact, we're going to be talking about very soon the ceremony that Aaron had to go through in order to become holy. And part of that was having oil poured on him. So we see that, you know, the oil all throughout the scriptures represents the Holy Spirit and having the Holy Spirit come upon them, if that makes sense. So that was another thing. You know, the olive oil in this lamp is representing that God's Holy Spirit or the Holy Spirit is there with them. And then the other thing, of course, is this was, you know, the the priests had to do this. They had to do this all night. They had to make sure that, you know, this lamp would never stop burning. So what's interesting about that is Aaron and his sons, who are supposed to be the priests and the high priests, We're supposed to constantly keep this lamp burning, not just through the night, but through the morning as well. You know, God never leaves, He never goes away. And this was a show to Aaron and his sons as well about God's presence living there in that tent of meeting. And also, I should mention that this lamp was supposed to be inside the tent of meeting. When my sister was on the podcast, she actually talked about uh, the lamp a little bit and how this lamp was supposed to be very beautiful. It was supposed to be gold. It was supposed to have um the cups that hold the candles were supposed to look like petals. So it was a very pretty lamp and it was the only one inside the Tenta Meeting, which the tent of Meeting itself was really, really, really dark. So it was super dark because it had four different kinds of coverings covering it. And so this lamp was the only thing that was supposed to be lit inside of this tent which was dark you know this shows that you know god's light is shining in the darkness i mean there's so many things that we can take just from these two verses about the symbolism all throughout scripture and uh, you know it's just very interesting how god never changes we see these exact same things being talked about in the new testament about god being the light you know the olive oil i mean there's a verse um oh where was it i think it was james that talks about anointing people nowadays with oil who are sick so that you can pray for them and you know God never changes and all the symbolisms throughout the Bible remain completely the same. So that's something we can take away from this is that God's presence is continually around us. He his light always shines in the darkness and he's always going to be the same. He's always going to protect us. He's always going to be with us like he was with his his people here and you know we are his adopted children. God is always the same. His presence is always with us, and he protects us, and he absolutely takes care of us, and he's always watching us. So, friends and faithful listeners, this was Exodus chapter 27, the entire chapter, verses 1 through 21. And uh, go back and read this tonight if you have the chance to, and absolutely stay tuned for that uh, podcast episode I'll be doing with Stephanie in a few weeks. Um, weeks, I believe it'll be in two weeks that we're going to be doing that episode. So absolutely stay tuned for that. Next week I'll be having a guest on the podcast as well, and his name is Bill McMinn, and he is a pastor in the area near us, and he's got some fantastic things to say as well, I believe. So, friends, I've got a lot of exciting things coming up on the podcast and uh, with the um with the business as well. So I'll keep you absolutely updated on everything that is going on. One thing I'm really excited about is I am learning some programs in order to make the music of this podcast nicer. So I'm trying to integrate a lot of my own music it might take some time, so don't expect it immediately. But um, I'm learning some awesome programs that are helping me with that. And my husband, he's also a musician, and he's ha- he has some really cool songs himself that he's written. So I'm going to try to get him to um, help on the podcast intros and outros as well, as well as um, some of the other music that I add throughout the podcast, um, such as the one playing currently. But friends and faith listeners, happy hump day, happy listening, and God bless.